Greetings Church, I know these are not uh, easy times, these are difficult times that we are in. The world is in, a is in a crisis and each of us are impacted greatly during this time, isn't it? All our plans and things that we have set out to do as objectives, as goals, all put on a hold. In fact, the other day I received an angry text from a friend saying, I want to know who all wished me Happy New Year. You know, it is sometimes, you know, we are, we become so difficult that uh, we, because we are currently reeling from crisis to crisis, we are just going on and on. Uh, for many, this is also a time when the crisis is not just related to our physical and emotional selves, but it is also spiritual in nature. It is a crisis of faith that we go through sometimes. There are so many questions that people are asking today. Is God there? Is God real? Are religions important and vital for us? Did God bring this about? Did God allow this? And if yes, how come he allowed almost, uh, you know, I was just uh, looking at the figures, it's almost 1.75, uh, 175,000 people who have died so far. Can God bring about healing? There are so many questions that are being asked today, isn't it? Some come to the conclusion that the only order that exists today is the natural order. Don't we hear people say that when we take care of nature, that nature will take care of us? So what about us, we who are called believers? We are called the believers, those who believe. We are people of the faith. And one of the characteristics that we must note is that our faith is evaluated and tested only in times of difficulties and crisis. It's not just in, in the normal, in the ordinary that our faith is tested, but it is in times of difficulty and crisis that our faith is tested. And it is not in the easy time that faith comes out as an expression. Rather, it is in the midst of turmoil that we can express faith. When we look at the word of God, when we study the word of God, we find innum innumerable instances that when faith is expressed and, and this is expressed in difficult times, in those moments when it is so difficult, when it's so natural to act on our own. But then those are the times when faith in God is really expressed. It is when we run out of earthly, earthly solutions that divine power of God is revealed. Jesus demonstrated not only his power. You know, Jesus, whenever he, almost all the times that he demonstrated his power was in times of crisis, when people were going through crisis. I mean, you take any instance, you take the lady who had bleeding, you know, that was a crisis in her life. Take the case of those 5,000 people who were to be fed. There was no food, they were hungry and they had to be fed. So it is in those times that Jesus demonstrated his power, but it didn't stop at the demonstration of power. The demonstration of power was actually the kingdom principle at work where tenderness and caring heart for the people who cried out to him in despair and he would answer their call, he would heed their call. So the power went along with the care and the love of God and that went together, it went hand in hand. 
So in the midst of the present despair that we are going through, the, the present gloom that we are going through, shouldn't that be also our response? Shouldn't our dependence on God also come with expressions of care? Isn't, shouldn't that be our response also? So the question that we really need to ask is, do we care enough? Now, I sort of, I was thinking through this caring enough and I said, uh, what would be my definition of caring enough? Now, when I talk about caring enough, the caring enough is a stirring in us, in our being, in our inner being, or a burden which is deep within us, placed by God, that translates into a set of definite and planned actions. And when we implement those actions fully and wholeheartedly, it results in achievement of the burden or, or it results in the achievement of comfort to people through the inworking and outworking of the Holy Spirit. So that's what care is all about. It's a deep burden that is placed within, within us by God and which translates into a set of definite and planned actions. And when we implement those actions, it brings about care, it brings about comfort, it brings, it brings about strength. And it brings about, and it is through the inworking and outworking of the Holy Spirit that this happens. When we look at God, we see the caring enough so well, which is in the person of Christ, isn't it? In John 3.16, we know that God cared enough for us that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have, but have everlasting lives. That means that God cares enough for us even in our sinful state. It's not in our perfect state, but rather it is in the state of crisis that humankind is in, a crisis that, 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 that humans are in. Sin is a, is a state of crisis that we are in. But it is in that state of crisis that God says that he cares enough. That all that we need to do is put our faith in him, put our belief in him, and he would, over, he would help us to overcome that. And he offers us eternal life. So that's an outworking of uh, the expression of faith that we have. And when we put our belief in God, you know, God gives us the power to overcome. And therefore, and through that, we are also granted eternal life. And Christ's death on the cross was the fulfillment of that process that was set into motion in the Godhead. So there is no doubt that God cares enough but the question that we need to ask is, do we care? Do we care enough? Well, I'm going to take one of the crisis situations that happened to the people of Israel and see how one person responded to that crisis. And the message that I bring to you today is from the first chapter of the book of Nehemiah. And before we... Uh, before we go through that portion, let me. Uh, it is it is good to go back to look at the background of the book of Nehemiah. Uh, well, in the earliest form of the Hebrew canon, uh, you know, they, these were not two different books. The books of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah were together under the name of the book of Ezra itself. After a while, this division was made. It was made into two books, and now we recognize it as the. Initially, it was recognized as the first book of Ezra and the second book of Ezra. And later on, uh, we came, it came to be known as the book of Nehemiah. 
and over half of the bible it consists of historical narration and its authors emphasized god's acts in history therefore to understand any such book as ezra nehemiah book we must understand something of its historical context and the bible teaches us that the way god works with people in one historical context such as the persian empire it can also help us to understand how god works in other contexts some 1000 years after the time of moses and some 400 years before the birth of jesus the nation of israel and the jewish people they were in a desperate state their nation was their, their nations were destroyed first the northern jewish kingdom of israel and the south and later on we find the southern uh, jewish kingdom of juda they both were destroyed the city of jerusalem was completely conquered by the babylonians and the once glorious temple of solomon was destroyed when the babylonians conquered jerusalem they deported almost all the jews from there there was there was almost nobody left there and they took almost all of them and they and they and they and they went and they took them as captives for almost 70 years and for almost 70 years Jew, the i mean jerusalem was a ghost town with the potential to end up like many ancient cities completely forgotten except to history when the jews were deported to babylon they began to make homes for themselves in babylon they did not even want to they settled down they 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 followed the god with their fathers but they did it from babylon with they almost had no desire to return to the land god had promised to abraham to isaac and jacob and some of these faithful jews were raised up to places of prominence in the governments they were deported to daniel there are a lot of instances we have daniel shadrach meshach abednego they became leaders in 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 babylon esther was made a queen in the courts of the of the persian king but after almost 70 years of captivity in babylon they were given the opportunity to come back to their homeland the promised land and there were almost 2 to 3 million jews who were deported from the land but only 50000 decided to return to the promised land that is something like 2% of the population decided to come back to their homeland to their promised land but they did return and and in the days of ezra they started to rebuild the temple and they laid a spiritual foundation for israel once again the book of nehemiah it begins 15 years after the book of ezra ends almost 100 years after the first captives came back to the promised land and some 150 years after the city of jerusalem was destroyed after this long time the walls of the city of jerusalem was they it was still in rubble there was not nothing happening in 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 jerusalem and before this the citizens of jerusalem had tried to build up the walls but they failed there was a lot of opposition that happened in ezra 4 uh, 6 to 23 we see that some 75 years before they tried to rebuild the walls they were stopped by their enemies and no one thought that this obstacle could be removed or could be overcome so the wall lay in ruins and the people they stayed in trouble and when we study the 
the this book we find the task undertaken by nehemiah is a huge task it's not a simple task that he that he decided to undertake it was a huge task you know oswald chambers in his book uh, which is my utmost for his highest he says thank god he gives difficult things for us to do thank god he gives us difficult things to do that's what oswald chambers said in his book and though it's we seem so much smarter these days to do the easy things that makes us look successful we must know that when god tells us to do difficult things it's because he wants us to grow he wants us to grow in our faith he wants us to grow in our understanding of his power and he wants us to grow in our experience of knowledge of his plan and his purposes unlike modern day tv shows making overnight heroes who soon vanish uh, after the show goes god does not manufacture cosmetic or synthetic heroes god grows the real thing he grows people to become like himself and the book of nehemiah it continues the story of the jewish exiles that returned to their homeland after the babylonian captivity nehemiah comes as a governor to lead his people with the express purpose of rebuilding the walls of the holy city and we see that nehemiah cared and let me read nehemiah chapter uh, chapter 1 verses 1 to 10 let me read because that's the foundation of what we are going to what the lessons that we are going to draw from this the words of nehemiah the son of hakaliah it came to pass in the month of kislev in the 20th year as i was in susa the citadel that hanani one of my brethren came with men from judah and i asked them concerning the jews who had escaped who had survived the captivity and concerning jerusalem and they said to me the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach the walls of jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire so it was when i heard these words that i sat down and wept and mourned for many days i was fasting and praying before the god of heaven and i said i pray lord god of heaven o great and awesome god you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which i pray before you now day and night for the children of israel your servants and confess the sins of the children of israel which we have sinned against you both my father's house and i have sinned we have acted very corruptly against you and have not get, kept the commandments the statutes nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant moses remember i pray the word that you commanded your servant moses saying if you are unfaithful i'll scatter you among the nations but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens yet i will gather them from there and bring them to the place which i have chosen as a dwelling for my name now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your great hand 
I will read uh, the verses 11 also. The verse 11. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Now this is Nehemiah. So when we look at Nehemiah's life, we can, we can draw three things. And the first thing that he... The first thing that we notice is that he cared enough to demand information. He cared enough to demand information. Now the, the word that is used there that when, when he says that um, when he asked his brother Hanani, uh, the word asked is actually the word also by implication it also means that he demanded it. So he demands, he cared enough to demand this information. And Nehemiah was no ordinary man. He was a he was a layman, but a cupbearer to the great to the great king, the Artaxerxes, Longimanus, who ruled Persia from 464 BC to 424 BC. And he is identified as the son of Hakaliah to distinguish him from the Jews of the same name of the time. And the word Nehemiah actually means the Lord has comforted. And when you look at these cupbearers, they are more than our modern-day butlers. Uh, it was a position of great uh, responsibility. It was, a, it was a position of great privilege. At each meal, he tested the king's wine to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. Nehemiah stood close to the king in public and he had to be, you know, when, they, when they, there, was a, there was a, uh, you know, there was a process to choose the cupbearer. The cupbearer had to be handsome, he had to be cultured, he had to be knowledgeable in, co in court procedures and he was able to converse with the king and advise him if the king asked him. And we see that in, uh, in Genesis chapter four, in 41 we see that. In, if we have to look at uh, in the modern context uh, something close that would come uh, in India in the army I know that we have something called as the ADC or the AD camp who are always with the with the senior generals or with the president of India. You know, uh, so they are very influential people because they have access to the person in power, and they sort of manage a lot of things of the of the of the people in power. And so the cupbearer was this man of great influence, and he could use that influence for good or for evil. That Nehemiah, a Jew, uh, he held such an important position in the, in the palace, speaks so well of his character and his ability. And for nearly a century, the, the Jewish remnant had been back in their own land. And uh, Nehemiah could have joined them, but he chose to remain in the palace. It turned out that God had a work for him. And, uh, you know, he could not have accomplished this this task in if he was in some other place. God put Nehemiah in Susa just as he had put Esther there a generation before. And just as he had put Joseph in Egypt, Daniel in Babylon, God placed Nehemiah in, in Susa at this time. And when God wants to accomplish his work, he always prepares his workers and puts them in the right place at the right time. 
So I'm sure that if, if you are the child of God, you are in the right place at the right time and God has put you in such a place, at such a time for you to accomplish the purposes and plan that God has in store for you. And like large doors, you know, great life-changing events can swing on small hinges. Large doors, they, they, you know, they, 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 they swing on very small hinges and likewise, and great life-changing events can hinge on small little things. It was just another day when Moses went out to take care of, of a sheep. But on that day, he heard the Lord's call and he became a prophet. It was an ordinary day when, when David was called home from shepherding his flock. But on that day, he was anointed king. And it was an ordinary day when Peter, Andrew, James and John were mending their nights after a night of failure. But that was the day when Jesus called them to become fishers of men. You never know what God has in store. Even in a commonplace conversation with a friend or a relative. So keep your heart open to God's providential leading. And no doubt it was just another routine day even for Nehemiah. When he met his brother Hanani. And who had, Hanani had just returned after a visit from Jerusalem. But it turned out to be a turning point in Nehemiah's life. Why would Nehemiah inquire about a struggling remnant of people who lived some 800 miles away? After all, he was the king's cupbearer. He was successful, uh, you know, in his profession. He had a secure life. And certainly it wasn't his fault that his ancestors had sinned against God. And they brought the judgment to the city of Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah. A, a century and a half before, the prophet Jeremiah had these words from the Lord. It said, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 5, it says, For who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will bemoan you? Or who will turn aside to ask how you are doing? Look at these words from Jeremiah. For who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will bemoan you? Or who will turn aside to ask how you are doing? Well, Nehemiah was the man chosen by God to do these very things. And, and if you look at Psalm chapter 137 and verses 5 to 6, it says, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy, Now, those are the words from Psalm 137 and verses 5 to 6. And Nehemiah had, the, had that heart. If Jerusalem was special to God, then it was also special to Nehemiah. And the, the story begins within the, uh, uh, giving an account of the condition of Jerusalem. At this time, the city was in a bad plight. Walls broken down, gates burned with fire, streets deserted, grass grown. The heathen... Uh, you know, they would pass by in scornful derision and they would say, Isn't, is this the city which was called beautiful? The joy of the whole earth? Well, you know, in the why should we bother too much about the walls of Jerusalem? Uh, in the ancient world, if you look at it, a city without walls was a city completely open and vulnerable to its enemies. And those living in an unwalled city lived in constant stress and tension. Uh, and they never knew when they might be attacked and brutalized. 
every man lived in constant fear for his wife and children. Um, the temple could be rebuilt, but never could it be made beautiful because anything valuable within the temple would be easily taken away. No wonder the people lived in constant distress. And uh, we see that we, they, were, they also lived in constant disgrace, in reproach that they lived, living only as survivors. They, they just called as survivors. But something changed within six months. Many things changed, in fact, within six months. One man had taken the sorrows of Jerusalem upon his heart. That was all. Just one man. He made the difference. He cared enough to demand information. And then, within six months of demanding that information, things had changed. One man had taken the sorrows of Jerusalem upon his heart. He began, to, he began to sorrow over it. He began to weep over it and thought so much about it that it quite, that even it spoiled its appetite, it says. He could not rest by day or by night. And at last, he had to take the burden right in before God and cast it upon him. You know, um, there are a lot of things that whenever, whenever we come across a lot of things, you know, when crisis hits us, the temptation is for us to react and to do things on our own, to, to first do things, to first act it out. I'm not saying that, please don't quote me and you say that, you know, when, when there is some accident or something that I'm going to stand and pray and ask God for what is, uh, what is God's will in this. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when large crisis hits us, that there is a time when we, when we actually need to, first of all, know about it, that there is a crisis that is looming large, which is impacting people at large. And when we have that heart to ask, then we know that we cannot keep that to ourselves. There is a lot of things that, that, that you know, we want to do right away. We want to jump in and do. But that's not the way that we, that we go about as believers. We actually need to take time off and go on our knees. Pray about it, weep about it, feel it, get that burden. When I spoke about the, uh, the definition of caring enough, I, I spoke about the, a burden being laid deep within, which stirs us up, which makes us want to do something which God instills within us. So that's the one. The world's salvation rests not upon organizations. It does not rest upon personal finances. It does not rest upon preachers. Or teachers it does not rest upon great arrangements but upon deep personal burden deep personal interest personal burden which leads to persistent prayer and persistent prayer leading to earnest effort so don't shortcut this whole process the experiencing of the burden deep right deep within just like Nehemiah experienced it deep within it, a stirring within, which leads us into seeking God, saying that God, this does not look like I can do anything about it. I'm completely helpless. But that stirring and that burden leads us into the presence of God, saying that God, this is not a, a, a physical answer that I can give to something so large. I need your help. I need your power to be displayed at this time. And that will lead to earnest effort. And that God will give us the directions after that. That is the only way in, the, in which the church can ever be victorious and can ever be saved. The saddest thing today when we look at the church today is that Christians 
are not Christ-like. Christians are not Christ-like. Christians who do not take the sins and the sorrows of the world upon their hearts. When we do not take the sins and sorrows of the world within our heart, we are not Christ-like. Some people prefer not to know what's going on, isn't it? Because if I know, then I'm obligated to act. Uh, you know, uh, there's, an, there's, a, there's a saying, there's an old adage which says that what you don't know can't hurt you. What you don't know can't hurt you. And Mark Twain, uh, in, a, in, a, in a letter to Mrs. Foote, he, he, he says this, all you need in this life is ignorance and confidence. Then success is sure. That's what Mark Twain told in a letter to Mrs. Foote. He says, all you need in this life is ignorance uh, and confidence. Then success is sure. But what we don't know could hurt us a, could, could hurt us a great deal. Well, the 1987, the slogan for AIDS, the publicity campaign was, don't die of ignorance. And that slogan can be applied for, to many areas of life uh, besides health. Nehemiah, he asked about Jerusalem. He demanded information about Jerusalem and about the Jews living there because he had a heart which, which, was, which cared. When we truly care about people, we want the fact no matter how painful they may be. Huxley said, facts do not cease to exist because they are ignored. Well, closing our eyes and ears to the truth could be the first step towards tragedy for ourselves as well as for others. What did Nehemiah learn about Jerusalem and the Jews? Three words summarize the bad news. Remnant, ruin, reproach. Instead of a land inhabited by a great people, now there was only a remnant of people. Instead of a magnificent city, Jerusalem was a city of ruins. And where there had once been great glory, there was nothing there except great reproach. And these are the three words that Nehemiah learned through his brother. And perhaps Nehemiah had hoped that the work on the walls had begun again and the city was now restored. Maybe that was, his, uh, that was the hope which he, he had asked Hanani. But without the walls and the gate, was the city was open to ridicule. It was open to attack. People were not safe. And, uh, and we know, uh, you know, when we read uh, the Psalms like 48, 79, Psalms 84, Psalm 87, we know how much the loyal Jews, they loved their city. Are we like Nehemiah? We are anxious to know the truth, even about the worst situation. Are we the kind of people who even care enough that we demand information and we want to know what is happening with people out there? What is happening with our people? Do we care enough? Are we just filling our head with knowledge? Well, the sec that comes to my second point. It says the, the first one was that he cared enough, Nehemiah cared enough to demand information. The second uh, part is that Nehemiah cared enough to weep. You know, information that floods our mind but does little to our hearts is useless. I'll repeat that. Information that floods our mind but does little to our hearts is useless. That kind of information, that kind of information gives knowledge but it is not transformative in nature. We may think about it for some time. That knowledge we may, we may think about it, we may dwell upon it for some time, but it leaves no lasting impact. And sometimes we consider weeping as a sign of weakness. 
but with Nehemiah, it was a sign of great strength, as it was with Jeremiah, as it was with Paul, as it was with our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Nehemiah was like the Lord in that he willingly shared the burden that was crushing others. And it, uh, you know, if there's a verse which says that the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. That's the kind of that's a kind of burden which leads to weeping and tears, crying out, grieving over of people, over the, over the sins of people, grieving over our nation, having that heart for people. Now that's going to be important. When God puts a burden on your heart, don't try to escape it. For if you try to escape, escape it, you may miss the blessings that he has planned for you. Well, the, booking of, the book of Nehemiah, it begins with great affliction, which we see in verse 3. But before the book of Nehemiah closes, there is great joy in chapters. If you go and read chapter 8, verses 12 and verse 17, we see that it ends with great joy. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 30 and verse 5, it says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And someone rightly remarked, he said, our tears water the seeds of providence that God has planted on our path. And without our tears, those seeds could never grow and produce fruit. Our tears water the seeds of providence that God has planted in our path. Isn't that beautiful? That it's our, the tears that we have. The, it's the, it is the genuinity of feeling and emotions that come together in an act of helplessness before God and saying, God, I can't but cry. I can't do anything about it. I need you. I need your help. You need to do something about it. And, and the genuinity of this feeling, bringing tears to, to the eyes, they are the, they are the water for the seeds of providence of God. And God will bless that and we will produce fruit in our, in, in our season. Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 5, and if you, if you, if you study that entire portion, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's all about blessedness. And one of the portions within that blessedness is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are they who mourn. Are we the ones who really mourn and grieve over our own sins, over the sins of our people? Are we, are we, uh, do we care enough for that and if we are the ones who mourn then jesus says it's not a it's 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 not that you know that we may be comforted that's not what jesus says he says that we will be comforted you know it was and when we when we read this portion we actually see that nehemiah sat down and wept and it was customary for the jews to sit down when they when they mourned and unconsciously, you know, Nehemiah was also imitating the grieving Jewish captives who had been exiled in Babylon uh, years before. Uh, we, we all know that, you know, by the, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept. We sat and wept. That's, the, that's, a, that's a customary way of grieving for the Jews, of sitting down and grieving. And like Daniel, even Nehemiah would have had a room, a private room where he prayed to God with his face toward Jerusalem. And fasting was required. If you look at Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 29, we find that fasting was required of the Jews only once a year. 
that were on the annual day of atonement. But Nehemiah, he spent several days fasting, several days weeping and praying before God. He knew that somebody had to do something to rescue Jerusalem and he was willing to go. He was willing to leave the, leave the comfort of the, of, the, of the palace. He was willing to leave the power that was associated with his, with his work. He was willing to leave everything behind, the name that he had and, the, and all that he had earned over the, over, over the years. He was willing to leave that and he was willing to go take up the task that God had ordained for him, had asked him to do. How do we do it? Do I mourn over, this, over my own state of sinfulness? Do I mourn over the state of my family, over, of the state of my nation? Do I have tears when I talk about someone who is not close to me? Do I have tears? Do I feel it deep, with, deep within? Do I have that burden laid within me? Do I care enough to weep and to cry out? And this crying out is not just a silent act. It is an act in which I have an uncontrollable grief over things in my life and in the things in the lives of my, my, my loved ones, my people. I have an uncontrollable grief. I feel the pain. I feel the loss. I feel the grief. I, I mourn. Are we in the presence of God waiting for our people, wailing for our people? Do I care enough? Do we care enough? Is a question that we need to ask today. The third thing that I want to talk to you about is Nehemiah cared enough to pray. So important. And this, there are 12 instances of prayer recorded in this book. And in, if we, when we look at this first chapter, that's the first instance, instance of prayer. And the book of Nehemiah, it opens with prayer and it closes with prayer. And it is obvious that Nehemiah was a man of faith who depended wholly on the Lord to help him accomplish the work that he had called, that God had called him to do. Uh, the Scottish novelist George MacDonald said, in whatever man does without God, in whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. Nehemiah succeeded because he depended on God. Speaking about the about the church's ministry today, the late Alan Redpath, he had these words. He said, there is not too much working. There is, he said, there is too much working before men and too little waiting before God. There is too much working before men and too little waiting before God. Now, is that what most of us are doing? You know, there was a person who, who, had, who heard evil tidings as of today and he said, it's very sad, very sad that these things are happening. I do wish I can help, but you see, I can do so very little. I will, I will, you know, I, what I'll do is I'll double my subscription for a year. But of course, I'm not in a position to anything more than that. You see, I'm not a prophet or if I was a prophet, I would go forth and preach to the people. I'm not a priest. I cannot take upon myself a task that belongs to others. I'm not a warrior. I cannot lead or head a host of soldiers or no doubt I should fight. I don't see that I can do anything. And that man is going away quite satisfied that he at any rate, just because he was willing to double his subscription, that he had done his duty. Now there's another man who comes and lays his hand on this man and he says, you know, well, we can do one thing about it. Let's pray about it. And this man who's just walking away says, of course, we can pray. Yeah, yeah, we can do all that, you know. 
there is no personal interest that is evinced in that kind of an attitude when we when we think that it's just about i'm helpless i can't do i will do things which only i can there is no dependence on god there is no going to god and seeking god out there is no intimacy with god there or there can be another kind of person who says that uh, let's go do something right away there is no waiting upon god you know so i think it is sometimes this there is a spirit which 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 says that i should be in control or i am in control i cannot let go of this control to anyone but nehemiah was not that kind of a man he was a man who waited upon god in prayer he went seeking to god and that's a beautiful prayer he says i pray lord god of heaven oh great and awesome god you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which i pray before you now day and night for the children of israel your servants and i confess the sins of the children of israel which we have sinned against you both my father's house and i have sinned look at the heart with which he is praying it was his ancestors his it was his the previous generations which had sinned against god and they and it is because of them that these people were in captivity they were far away from their from their from the promised land and here is nehemiah praying that prayer connecting up with god he cared enough to pray telling god god we as a people have sinned against you but remember that we are your servants we are your representatives here on this earth we 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 see that he ha- he relished it he he had the appetite for god he lost the appetite for food but he had the appetite for relating with god now that's what is important for us god loves hearts that fret because of the because of the sins and sorrow sorrows around us so there are three things that i that i that i that i spoke to you about first is that nehemiah demanded information he cared enough to demand information the second thing that we see is that he nehemiah cared enough to weep to grieve over the sins of of his people of the condition of jerusalem he he wept over it and third thing is nehemiah he cared to pray you know um so putting this all together you know uh, he ended up acting and acting decisively what is the burden that god is laying in your heart today in acts chapter 17 and verse 16 we say we see paul in athens and and the and and the verse says that his spirit was aroused within him or it was stirred up within him because some some versions use that he was upset that he was distressed but here the word implies more more than a sadness it implies that it resulted in action that we read later on in acts chapter 17 and so when paul saw the city full of idols you know it there was a stirring up within him his spirit was aroused within him which resulted in certain action that he took you know so it is important that if you seek him and his kingdom first and you earnestly seek him that god would uh, god will add all that you are seeking for his kingdom 
he will add everything else onto you and let me go back to the definition that i spoke about about caring enough i spoke to you about caring enough it is a stirring in our being it's a deep burden that stirs up within a within us within us it is placed by god that translates into a set of definite and planned actions which when we implement those actions fully and wholeheartedly it results in achievement by the inworking and outworking of the holy spirit of god today do we have the faith to intimately walk with god in this in this distressing times do we care enough for the world around us for our people around us do we really care do we care enough is the question that we need to ask ourselves may god bless us all may the may the lord god stir up within us that burden which will result in the transformation we have been praying as a church we've been praying especially for this entire area that we have been praying and we we have been taking certain steps to do it but unless and unless and until every person in our church comes together and has this burden deep within us stirring us up connecting making us weep over over, over, over the condition of our people over things that are happening and unless it results in a set of action being connected to god you know it will be futile so i urge us all to come together in prayer there are times when we are calling out for prayer the church calls out for prayer there is a you know so it is good for us to connect up in prayer and good for us to grieve over it good for us to question ourselves and ask do we have the hearts to care enough has god put that within us do we have the heart of god is a, is a question that we need to ask ourselves god bless you all god keep you all